What does it mean to glorify Christ? Uh, The Lord helps us learn what we should be like and what we should do in Scripture, often by giving a negative and a positive. Let me give you two examples. In Proverbs 14.32, Solomon says, The wicked is banished in his wickedness, but the righteous has a refuge in his death. So there you have a negative and then it's contracts, a positive. The wicked are banished, but the righteous have a refuge. In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul talks about how these things are written so that we will not lust after evil things as Israel lusted, that will not be idolaters, and that will not fall into sexuality, uh, that will not tempt Christ, but instead we will rely, follow the Lord and fight sin and temptation. So you have negatives and positives. Uh, So today, I want us to learn from later in the book of Revelation, a negative example about glorifying Christ. In other words, those who will not glorify Christ. Normally, I put the fill-ins in the main body. I have included one at the very top. This is part of the message today. Uh, Glorifying Christ, we'll be looking at the world. It does not glorify Christ. The world is self-glorifying. That is the two blanks for the title today. The world is self-glorifying. By world, I'm not talking about dirt. I am talking about sinful, fallen humanity. Their natural character who they are, their bent, their orientation. It is self-centered. And that is the complete opposite of glorifying Christ. But right now, the Lord, and I'll walk through this as we go through the, the message, the Lord right now, he's holding the world back. He's holding fallen humanity back from fully expressing that. But what will human existence be like when the Lord stops? When the Lord stops doing that? Next Sunday, we're going to look at what will human existence be like when every aspect does glorify Christ. We're going to look in the future today when fallen humanity has an unbridled expression of its sin. But what will human humanity, what will this world look like? And it will happen. Revelation and the prophets tell us about this. What will happen when Jesus Christ returns and every aspect of human life does glorify Christ? And then the third Sunday, how should Christ's church glorify Christ until that time? So today, the world has fallen humanity, its natural character and bent, its orientation, its disposition, what it's like, It is contrary to the Lord, self-centered, self-glorifying, the exact opposites of glorifying Christ. God's word tells us what the world will look like and what it will be like. And we have that here in the book of Revelation. Now, my brother, in uh, I think it was in his uh, prayer after he read the the scripture today, he recognized, he, he, he said to the Lord, uh, give thanks to the Lord for this book. 
And he also said sometimes revelation can be challenging to understand. Anybody there on that one? Yeah, uh, we're, we're on that. So uh, let me, in about uh, two minutes, uh, clear all the fog and make it so, well, that's not going to happen, okay? I'm just going to give you a bird's eye flyover of the book of Revelation. This book was written, Revelation was written, so that Christians, since the time it was written until now, will persevere in the faith that they'll stay faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will not fear those who persecute them. That they will have instead a confident trust that the Lord Jesus will come and he will judge every wrongdoer and he will bring righteousness on the earth. How is revelation put together? This is sometimes called its structure. Um, there we could see four main parts of the book of Revelation. There's chapters 1 to 3, and then chapters 4 to 5, chapters 6 to 19, and then chapters 20 to 22. The first part, chapters 1 to 3, is Christ's message to the churches. It's very clear. He's writing to the churches. In chapters 4 and 5, we see Christ's authority to judge fallen humanity. John sees a vision in heaven and he sees the lion, the lamb of God before whom all bow. And then there's a question that's brought up because this uh, scroll with seven seals is on it. None in creation are found worthy to open the seals, which means to enact to bring those things to make them happen. But one is found. It's the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Chapters 4 and 5, it is more than just a picture of the glory of God in heaven. It is showing us that Jesus is the one who has all the authority, the character, and uh, to, 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 to judge fallen humanity. The rest of the book, almost the entirety of it, chapters 6 to 19, tells us about Christ's judgment on fallen humanity. Christ's judgment on fallen humanity. And then chapters 20 to 22 tells us about uh, Christ's rule for that thousand years and then how that will merge into the eternal kingdom. Christ's rule in the millennial and then the eternal kingdoms. I want to come and focus on this third section, the main body of the book. Christ's judgment, Christ's judgment on fallen humanity. Here we read of three series of judgments that Jesus will bring upon the world. There are seven seals, and then seven trumpets, and then seven bull judgments. And these are not just kind of all the same. They're increasing in severity. They get worse and worse. And worse. You read the first, we read about the first six seals, and you get to that seventh seal, and then that leads, that seventh seal is actually the seven trumpet judgments. And the seventh trumpet judgment is actually the seven bowl judgments. It's showing it is getting worse and worse. Christ's judgment on, on fallen mankind. Sprinkled throughout that section, 
sprinkled throughout that section, there are some interludes. An interlude is kind of a parenthesis where you're giving more information. If you want to write them down, these are chapters 7, chapters 10 to 14, and chapters 17 to 18. These chapters that are interludes giving more information are chapters 7, chapters 10 to 14, and chapters 17 to 18. This is important to see because people look at this section here and they try to make it all follow in order of time, and you can, the seals, to the trumpets, to the bowls, that's exactly how it will happen. But you get to chapter 7 and it just kind of pulls back a bit. And how, where do we fit this in? In chapters 10 to 14, there's a lot of stuff in there, especially chapter 12, where chapter 12 kind of gives you a history of, well, Israel. And then chapters 17 to 18, well, how, this seems kind of herky-jerky. Do you ever use parentheses? You sure do. What do you use parentheses for? To explain, to give more information. And we need that in the book of Revelation. So, you are all experts now in the book of Revelation, aren't you? Well, hopefully this little bird's eye tour, this thumbnail uh, explanation will help you a little bit. Now I want us to go to Revelation chapter 13. We're going to be looking at three chapters tonight, or this morning primarily, chapters 13, 17 to 18. And before we get to that, I want us to survey the events that will happen before these three chapters. These are interlude chapters. They're telling us truth that's going to, they're telling us about things that will happen, people and, and institutions that will be present during this time, uh, that seven years of judgment. But what's going to happen then? Well, first of all, I'm tempted to write it up here, but it'd be a lot of back and forth. So first of all, we have right now what we could call the church age. We have the church age. And how long will the church age last? We don't know exactly how long. It will last until the second event that occurs, and that is the, what's called sometimes the rapture, when Jesus descends to the clouds, and then the church is caught up to be with him in the clouds. The first ones will be those who have died. They will be resurrected from the dead. Then we which are alive and remain, this is First Thessalonians 4, we which are alive and remain shall join them, we shall meet them in the air. And what's the great truth? So we will be always with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. Uh, John, Jesus tells us in John 14, uh, don't worry, don't fret, trust in me. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I'm going to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Uh, and so we have the church age, we have the rapture. After Christ catches the church up to be with him, that will then, uh, uh, very shortly after that, then these tribulation judgments will occur. Chapter 6 to 19. The pattern of Revelation helps us see that. We read about the church in the first three chapters. What about chapter 6 to 19? You never read about it. And it fits in perfectly with the rest of what the Lord says. And so you have these, so we have the church age, the rapture, you have the tribulation judgments of the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, 
And then we have Christ's second coming to the earth. Right now, during this church age, passage to write down would be 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 6 and 7. For sake of time, I'm not going to go there. But at 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 6 and 7, Paul is teaching the Thessalonians some details about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is God's judgment on the world that will be followed by great blessing. He's specifically focusing on the judgment. And he talks about the great deceiver, the man of sin, the man of lawlessness, that's also called the Antichrist. And that spirit of the Antichrist is present now, John tells us. What's holding him back, though? What's keeping him from coming out? That's 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 6 and 7. It's the restrainer. The Holy Spirit working in and through the church is restraining, keeping unbelievers from being as sinful as they could be. And that is a mercy to the world, as we will see from these three chapters in Revelation. The Holy Spirit holds back fallen humanity from fully expressing and living out their self-glorifying character and bent. Once the restrainer is removed, what will fallen humanity be like? All humanity, then, will be free to give full expression to that sinful heart that they have. And that is self-glorifying. First point I want us to see from Revelation 17. So go over to Revelation 17. Humanity during that time, say the church, the rapture, and then the beginning part of that tribulation time. This is the first half number one covers. During that first half, those first three and a half years, humanity will be governed by and follow an apostate world religion and state and its chief minister, the Antichrist. Romans 17, 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Number one, this is the great harlot. This is talking about how all false religions of the world at that time, they're going to be joined together into one worldwide religion. Number two, verse two. With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Number two, this is the harlot's gospel. Oh, the harlot's gospel be The harlot's gospel will be self-orientation and self-gratification. Focus on yourself. They were made drunk with the wine of a fornication. They couldn't get enough. They kept drinking and drinking and drinking it. It has been said that man is a religious creature. Maybe you've heard that before. Why is that? It's because God made us in his image. He gave us a mind to think. He gave us an affections to love God. He gave us a will to consciously decide to choose to obey God. But what changed all that? Sin changed all that, didn't it? 
And so instead of worshiping, responding rightly to who God is, the unbeliever instead uses all that to worship anything other than the true God. That is idolatry. Idolatry. And during this time, right here, fallen sinful men and women, they will direct their religious bent by their sin nature. That's what's going to control. Talk about tickling ears. They'll be on steroids, scratching them with this sort of thing. Sort of thing. Verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Number three. The apostate world religion and state, its chief minister is your blank there. Its chief minister will be the Antichrist. When you hear the name Antichrist, you think of one who will have absolute rule over the entire world. That will happen, but not in the first half of this time. Look at the verse again. I saw a woman, and what is her relationship to the beast, the Antichrist? She's doing what on him? Sitting on him. She is in control. She is in control. He will arise out of the beginning of the tribulation, be a lot of chaos. In chapter 6, verse 1, uh, he will bring military order. But the great harlot will control the Antichrist and world politics. We read also here how he is, she, she has controlled the seven heads and ten horns. This is talking about the different governments and leaders at that time. The Antichrist serves the great harlot. Write down also, for sake of time, we can't look at it, but Matthew chapter 24, verse 11. Matthew 24, verse 11, it says, Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. So you've got this one world religion devoted to uh, its gospel. And its primary ministry, call it its pope, is the Antichrist. And so it's no surprise that guess who Martin Luther and John Calvin identified as the Antichrist? The pope, okay? And some still do today. It's not just the Pope. It's going to be one real individual. He will have under him a bunch of evangelists, these false prophets, going throughout the world teaching their false gospel. And people will drink it up. They're going to be controlled by it. That's what's meant by their being drunk with it. Number four, verse four. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Number four, it's gospel goals. Remember, it's gospel there, self-orientation, self-gratification. It's gospel goals will be total materialism and immorality. That's the goal of its quote-unquote gospel. Complete materialism and immorality. She's adorned. She's arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones. And then if you're there in verse 4, look at that again. She's adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. And then 
A simple expression that we might just kind of quickly read over. Having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations. A hand talks about authority. And what's being said here is this harlot makes it all possible. Has the authority to make your wildest dreams come true. Everything that you could have ever hoped for, wanted, will be yours. Whatever makes making life enjoyable. Be your authentic self. Do whatever feels good to you. And Jesus also says of this, says of this time in Matthew 24, 12, lawlessness will abound. Number five, verse six. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. This is the great harlot's ministry philosophy. How will it make it happen? Its ministry philosophy will be the slaughter of believers. The slaughter of believers. Why would that be the case? During this first half, of the tribulation, this first three and a half years, there's something else going on. And you read about this in chapter 11. I'm not going to go there now, but check it out sometime. In chapter 11, you read about two individuals who preach judgment and the true gospel. They are described as two prophets, and they will be preaching the true gospel while the harlot rules. Well, the Antichrist does what he does. And no one can touch them, it says. No one is able to stop them. And if anybody tries to kill them, the prophet kills them. Those two prophets will kill them. Those two prophets have authority over the the, the climate and they can make things happen. And we read elsewhere in Scripture how a vast number will be saved, truly saved, Write down these passages so that you can read them sometime. Chapter 6, verse 9. Chapter 7, verse 9. And verses 13 to 14. You read there how people from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. Have you heard those expressions before? That's talking about people who will be saved during this dark time. How will they hear the gospel? I've heard several over the years say we need to leave gospel literature and things like that so that people during the tribulation can read them and get saved. I've, in the 80s, I remember this one pastor, he made cassette tapes. What to do if Jesus comes and you find yourself alive after the rapture? You know, those are great and fine, but the Lord has said how people will be saved through these two prophets. And they will preach the gospel. And also in chapter 12, we read of 144,000 Jews. They will go out and they will preach the gospel. The harlot can't kill them. The harlot referring to that one world religion. He cannot, it cannot kill these two prophets. And so what will it do instead? It will slaughter Those who believe the two witnesses, slaughter them. They'll be publicly executed. 
They'll be seen walking down the streets, shot and killed on sight. Jesus tells us that brother will betray, do you remember? Brother. Parent. If a parent learns that their child has trusted Christ, that parent will, here's my child. He believed. Kill my child. Children, when they learn that their parents trusted Christ during that time, those children will turn their parents in so that they are slaughtered. Husbands and wives will turn each other in when they trust Christ. The world is going to hate believers. There will be no religious freedom. They'll say, we have freedom now, but there will not be freedom at all. This brings us then to the second half of this time, the second three and a half years, number two. Humanity will then be governed by and follow the Antichrist's religion and rule. In two chapters, we're going to look at chapter 13 and verse 18. First, let's go to chapter 13. I think it might be helpful for me to just read this chapter. So follow as I read Revelation chapter 13. John writes, and remember this is an interlude, it's a parenthesis giving more information now about the Antichrist. I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast, that's referring to the Antichrist, rising up out of the sea, out of humanity, having seven heads and ten horns. He has great authority, great authority. On his horns, ten crowns, and on his heads, a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, His mouth were like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? He was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. That is three and a half years. Then he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Stop a second. About a dozen times, that is how unbelievers are referred to in the book of Revelation. Those who dwell on the earth. That is how unbelievers are referred to in the book of Revelation. Verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who, kills with a, he who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here's the patience and faith of the saints. This is talking about how believers then, they have to trust the perfect providence of God. They're being slaughtered. But precious in the sight of the Lord is what? The death of the saints. Verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. This is the false prophet. And he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. 
He performs great signs, so that even he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He, the false prophet, causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is a number of man, his number is 666. Number one, the Antichrist will be the world's religion and order. Now you might remember, during the first half of the tribulation, what was the relationship of the Antichrist to the one world government, well, the one world church, as it were, in government? It's under he will be under its authority. But now, when we come to the second half, this is gone, and the Antichrist alone is the ruler and the religion. How did that happen? How did that happen? Well, in chapter 11, verse 7, he kills the two witnesses. What couldn't the great harlot do? Couldn't kill the two witnesses. What did the Antichrist accomplish? He killed those two witnesses. Another thing we read there in chapter 13, verses 3 and 4, he is going to die, and then he's coming back to life. Do you remember how I refer to him? As the what Christ? The Antichrist. And what sets Jesus apart from every other religious leader? The fact that he died and rose again. Here we have the great counterfeiter himself, the Antichrist. And it says there in verse 3, I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. He'll, as it were, die and rise from the dead. We read in verses 5 to 8, he will demand exclusive worship. He'll be empowered by Satan. He's going to destroy the harlot. Verses 12 to 18. He will destroy the harlot. He'll put that false religion down, and he will be the one alone. Remember what the false prophet's going to do? Verses 13 and 14. He is going to do amazing miracles that will deceive the world. He's going to create an idol representing the Antichrist, and he'll enable that idol to actually talk. Another miracle. He will force all, that we read in verses 16 to 18, he will force all to be branded with the Antichrist's name. Now this has gotten some ink over the years, hasn't it? When we read about credit cards, when we read about uh, things that we can do with technology, and you start reading some quirky things on the internet about, this is the mark of the beast! Folks, it's not the mark of the beast. This is branding them as slaves. They are owned by him. They're controlled by him. They're devoted to him. They love the Antichrist. They want this. 
And this is what every unbeliever will do in that day and age. Number two, the Antichrist will be fallen humanity's greatest ruler. He will be a military genius, verse 4. Who is like the beast? Chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Daniel tells us in Daniel eleven thirty eight, he'll be devoted to materialism, to this world. He'll be completely self-centered. Paul gives specifics about him in 2 Thessalonians 2. Completely self-centered. The man of sin, dedicated to sin. That's what that means. He lives to sin. That's what he's controlled by. He'll break every one of God's laws and oppose Christ in every way. We read here in Revelation 13, verse 2, how he has the mouth of a lion. He will be a powerful and excellent speaker. What gets people's attention when it comes to leaders? You need to be a good what? A good speaker. And this man, he will have that gift. We also read in verse 2, the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Who inspires the Antichrist? Who controls him? Satan does. Satan does. He will be a blasphemer who slaughters the saints and who will rule the world. What will life, number three, be like under the Antichrist? Let's go to chapter 18. Here we have Babylon the Great, the city of Babylon. What will it be like? Let's read. So this is the, what life will be like under the Antichrist rule when he alone is being worshipped. And he alone is the, 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 the dictator of the world. Revelation 18. And uh, verse 1. After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. He cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. We see here, verse 2, it says the haunt of every demon, the place, dwelling place of every demon. The idea of this, demons are going to be at home. They are going to be at home among fallen humanity during this time. Can you imagine living with people who love being controlled by demons? We get just a little view of that, what life is like. But the demons that Jesus cast out, and untold numbers of people during this time, they will love, worship these demons. We also read how they're devoted here to immorality and materialism. That's what they live for. Drop down to verse 7. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Self-glorifying. Devoted 
to living luxuriously. Self-centered and self-sufficient. I sit as a queen. I will not see sorrow. The pride here that's going on. Drop down now to verse 21. This chapter describes God's judgment on Babylon. And from that, we see what Babylon was like. You know what? Let's look also at the materialism in verse 11. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys the merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. You just see, this will be a place, a time replete with every material blessing, as it were, every material uh, advantage. Now, verse 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. Again, we get a little window into what life will be like during Babylon's rule, Antichrist rule, verse 22. The sound of harpists, musicians, flautists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of the millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of a bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. Your, for mer, your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived, and in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain in the earth. We learn a lot more of what life will be like under the great Antichrist in his one rule, one, one government rule, his one government, the, the government that he rules. You will have great musical concerts it talked about there. Harpists, musicians, flautists, and trumpeters. They'll have magnificent craftsmanship. Craftsmen of crafts. There'll be enjoyable home life. That's the idea there in verse 23. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. They had it. They'll have, many of them will have great lives at home. Joyous human events such as weddings. But yet in verse 23, sorcery that will deceive the world. Verse 24. The slaughter of the saints. This was quite an overview. Pretty quick going through three chapters, wasn't it? I want, to, I want you to remember, why am I going through this with you? I want us to see what will fallen humanity, whose character and bent is fundamentally sinful, when it has the ability, finally, to let it all go to let their hair down, to be free to give expression. What will it be like? It will be on full display during these times. I could summarize it with four characteristics. The first characteristic, it will be people who are dominated by Satan. They will be dominated by Satan. There is an unholy trinity that will be ruling them. 
Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. They'll be dominated by Satan. A second characteristic during this time of people, they will be dedicated to self. Dedicated to self. A third characteristic, they will despise Christ and Christians. This is the normal expected outcome of someone who's dominated by Satan, who's dedicated to living self. They despise Christ. They hate Christians and believers. But let's not forget, this is not the end of the story, is it? They are dominated by Satan. They're dedicated to their sin nature. They despise Christ. But let's remember, and we'll see this in detail next week, they are doomed to hellfire. They are doomed. They have just a little time. And Satan will know it. What people will be like then is what their hearts are like now. This is a takeaway you need to see from this passage here and the rest of Scripture. What people will be like then, that's how people are now. When the Lord Jesus comes to the clouds and he takes the church away, the restrainers removed. And what people are like then, they will then give full expression to it. At its heart, humanity is self-glorifying. And that self-glorifying character and bent, that directs their morals. It directs their worship. It directs their music. It directs their daily life. It directs their politics. It directs their view and value of human life. It directs their attitude and actions towards Christ and Christians. Are there morals present now? Does worship happen now? Is there music now? And all these were just kind of shaking our head and we hear lots of rattling going on up there, don't we? Well, yeah. And for an unbeliever, what is the fundamental characteristic of them? Self-glory. Self-glory. The world does not and never will voluntarily by itself glorify Christ. These chapters, 13, 17, and 18, it helps us see what the world is really like and what they think about themselves. It's present now, but it's restrained. And there will come a time when fallen humanity will be free to that restraint. You have to recognize the true character of this world now, Christian. That is the true character of the world now. Now, I don't want you to go through life looking at someone and saying, you're a follower of the Antichrist. That's not for us to do now, is it? Our job now is to look at them with compassion, love them, be a witness and a testimony to them, and thank the Lord today is what? The day of salvation. Jesus Christ, he said this, did not come to judge He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Is there coming a time 
when he will come and judge, he will. But we must recognize when we see things happening in politics, we see things happening in morals, we see things happening in worship, we see things happening in family, we shouldn't be surprised. Because a self glorifying, materialistic, immoral character and bent of the heart, it's always there. Thousands of years ago, God said through Jeremiah, the heart is wicked. It's deceitful. And that hasn't changed. Christian, we need to thank the Lord. And I'll look more in detail at this next week. We need to thank the Lord that Christ has saved you from that. What's he done with your heart? Did he kind of fix some of the bent edges of your heart? Did he put a little paint on it? He gave you a new heart. What did he do to your mind? He gave you a new mind. A new heart, a new mind, and a new desire to love the Lord and to serve him. We'll look at this more in the next weeks. But Christian... You must live a Christ-glorifying life in a sin-glorifying world. If you're without Christ, now, you know what? You are dominated by Satan now. You are dedicated to sin. You don't like Jesus, and you're sitting there only because you have to. Given the choice of Comrades and friends, you'd rather not hang with Christians. You'd rather hang with people who are cool or make you feel good or whatever the case might be. And you also need to remember that you are doomed to hellfire. But today, today is the day of salvation. And if you turn to Christ today and you trust in him, he will save you. Trust in the Lord and live for his glory.